Good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. It's a delight to see you all on this Lord's Day morning. Uh, Just a few announcements before we begin our service. Uh, Please note um, the opportunities that we have this week for Bible study and prayer, uh, Women's Weekly Bible Study uh, on Thursday, uh, as well as our uh, study and corporate prayer uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, Also of note, we are going through the elements of our worship service. We're about halfway through our liturgy, our order of worship uh, in our Sunday morning series through that. And so if you'd like to know a little bit more about why we do what we do in worship, um, be here at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday mornings and you'll, you'll get a little bit more uh, out of our service, Lord willing. Uh, also of note, we will be having the Lord's Supper next Sunday. So uh, be, even now, preparing your hearts, preparing to come to the Lord's table uh, in faith and in repentance. Also, just a, a few opportunities to serve both our local community as well as our, um, our Presbyterian Church in America community. Uh, we have two opportunities this holiday season. Uh, first, we have, um, you'll find this in your bulletin, uh, this look after uh, uh, themed um, little handout for the Ministerial Relief Fund. And really what this is, is uh, through the kindness and giving of uh, members in the church, PCA churches, uh, these offerings are taken to uh, assist uh, widows of pastors uh, as well as pastors who are retired or disabled and who are in need. And so if you're looking for a way in which you can tangibly express your love, um, here's a good way to do that by giving to the PCA Ministerial Relief Fund. Also, we have uh, churches assisting people they take up every year around this time non-perishable food goods, and you'll find uh, in our uh, in our narthex, narthex, whatever it is back there, uh, vestibule, whatever. I don't know. There are so many names for it. You you will find a a bin out there where we are collecting non-perishable food items. Particularly, they want you know canned meats, tunas, uh, beans, proteins. Particularly is what they are looking for. And so uh, if you have the opportunity to give uh, to that, um, that would be a great way to serve uh, men and women in our community who are in need. Let us hear the Lord's call to worship. God calls us to worship from Psalm uh, 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us indeed do that by standing and singing hymn 241, O God Beyond All Praising, hymn 241. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
us pray together. O Lord, we give you praise. You are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you for you are our God and you are worthy of all praise and laud and thanksgiving and honor. We worship you as our great King and as our Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom you have sent to redeem us from our sins. We come to you asking that you would be in our presence, that you would bless us by the giving of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be stirred by him, that we may gaze upon the beauty of Christ and find joy in him. So, Lord, we pray that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would be with us, your people, that, Lord, you would be our God and we would be your people, even in this hour, as we will be forevermore. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your bulletins with me and you'll find on the left hand side of the reading of the law. We read God's law because it reads us that as we read God's law, we realize who we are. We realize that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And so let us read this law together and allow it to read us as it looks even into the thoughts and intentions of our hearts that we may confess our sins together. God has spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments... Depend all the law and the prophets. You may be seated. Let us go before our God in prayer and confession. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we come as your people who bear your name, who bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are Christians and we are marked by his identity. And yet, Lord, we have taken your name and the Lord Jesus Christ's name in vain. We have been baptized into the triune name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by our baptism, we are marked by your holy and all-sufficient name. And yet, we have sullied that name. We have, with every sin, contradicted the mark that is upon us. We have broken the law of, of you, our King, And in so doing, we have brought dishonor to you as king. Lord, we confess that we are sinners. We have taken your name 
in vain. And Lord, we know that apart from Christ, you will not hold us guiltless if we take your name in vain. And so, Lord, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to you by him. We ask that you would find us in him, that you would grant us faith to believe and to be justified and to be found righteous in him. For Lord, it's it's by no other name in heaven or on earth by which we may be saved, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we come to him asking that you, by your mercy, by your grace, would pardon us of our sins, that you would Grant us righteousness, not righteousness that we performed by works of the law, but righteousness that has been merited through the perfect work of our priest, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that his sacrifice would be on our behalf, that, Lord, we would be found in him. So, Lord, pardon us from our iniquity. Heal us of our diseases. Grant us forgiveness that we may fear you and bear your name anew as your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear this, the words of the assurance of pardon. For those who have believed upon Jesus Christ, who have been forgiven of their sins by faith, this, friends, is for you. From Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Believer, know this. That if you are, by faith, believing in Christ, if you are in Christ, the punishment for your sin has been completely paid for by His blood. By one single sacrifice, He has saved His people. For that, we can be thankful. Let us be uh, expressive of this thanksgiving uh, and this hope that we have in Christ by singing together hymn 277, Before the Throne of God Above, hymn 277. Oh 
your hymnals in hand and we'll turn to page 974 and we will recite together questions 89 and 90 of our shorter catechism. Page 974, questions 89 and 90. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may be effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Amen. You may be seated. Let us now prepare to give of our offerings. Let us pray and ask his blessing on this time. God, grant us cheerful hearts whereby we may give to you what you've graciously given to us. We pray that these offerings would be used for the furtherment of your kingdom, for the building up of your church, for the relief of those who are in need in our midst, our brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, we do pray for your mercy uh, and for your wisdom to be upon us as we dispense these for your kingdom's sake. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Testament scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we will read verses 8 through 22 this morning. Exodus 1, 8 through the end of the chapter. Here we see uh, the oppression that was put upon God's people in Egypt. We see how ruthless uh, the Egyptians treated them, how they multiplied their burdens, how their taskmasters uh, went hard against them. Uh, We see here how there was great wickedness from the ruler, from from Pharaoh, uh, who sought to have all the male Hebrews murdered, uh, the young ones (laughs) We see this and we say that this is a manifestation of evil. But to some degree or another, we we see this as our estate, even this side of glory. Uh, There will always be oppression for God's people. Uh, There will always be those who rise up against God's people uh, to cause them to suffer. But there is always, friends, a glimmer of hope. Because of who our Savior is and what he has promised to do. Uh, Our God, our King, King Jesus, uh, will one day rout both his and our enemies. And so as we read this, we need to realize that we are, uh, have been, to some degree or another, uh, placed in a similar situation. It may not be 
uh, in the same way. But we are oppressed by sin. We are oppressed by uh, wickedness without and within. We have enemies in this life. And we must all cry out to God for his mercy and his deliverance. And so let us read together Exodus chapter 1 verses 8 uh, through 22. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The Hebrew midwives said, to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiply and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. And you shall let every daughter live. In the midst of such wickedness, what we see is we see these Hebrew midwives faithful to their God before they are faithful to any man. May we boldly hold fast to our God, even when there are times which we have to choose between disobeying others, authorities over us, and obeying our God. Let us pray together. Our God in heaven, we do thank you that you are our God. That we pledge our allegiance to you first and foremost. That you are our heavenly king and our heavenly father. And that because of this, we owe you obedience and allegiance before anyone else. Lord, we pray that you would grant us strength. There seem to be, Lord, times coming when... We may be put to the test concerning this. And even though I'm no prophet, Lord, uh, there are indications which it may be hard to be faithful in the coming generation. So, Lord, I pray for boldness. Boldness uh, for your people, for us here at Grace, for the Presbyterian Church in America, for our presbytery, for all Christ-exalting and confessing Churches, that Lord, we would stand fast and hold fast to you as our king before we enthrone anyone else upon our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness in a wicked and adulterous generation. That we might, through that boldness and through that clear standing for your truth, the clear proclamation of your word, that there might be a multiplication, Lord. Lord, we know that uh, the hardship of, of the martyrs and the hardship of the church leads to multiplication within the church. And so, Lord, we pray for that day, whatever may come, that if that happens to be your will, that, Lord, you would grow your church. Lord, we pray that you would grow this church, that, Lord, you would bless us with, with a deep love and satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that he... Uh, would be sweet to us 
uh, that we would hunger and thirst for him. That to know him is to have life. Help us to know that, Lord. And help us always to pursue him, even as he has pursued us, even unto death. Lord, we pray uh, that you would make us faithful. We pray, Lord, that for our congregation, for our presbytery, for the PCA, that you would keep her life and doctrine pure. That if there are those who are troublers in her midst, that you would expunge them, that they may not um, taint your people. Lord, we pray that you would be merciful uh, to your church here in the United States. But we also pray that you would be merciful to the churches abroad, to our brothers and sisters who face persecution every day, who must meet uh, meet together in secret to worship you, who do not have a free conscience in these matters before their civil magistrates. Well, we pray that you would strengthen them, that you would give them boldness to always stand firm upon your truth. Lord, we pray for our governing authorities. We pray for them. We ask, Lord, that you would... um, Give them a sense of justice and righteousness that they may govern well. That, Lord, you would enable them and give them a heart to allow for religious liberty that we might, Lord, worship you freely. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be kind to the families of our congregation uh, and to to those who who may not have families. We pray that you would uh, bind us all together, Lord, into one family, one church. Help us, Lord, to depend upon one another. Help us to rejoice and carry each one another's burdens. That you and your kindness would would manifest your love to us as we love one another. Help us, Lord, to lay down our lives for one another. Help us to serve one another, O God. We pray all of this would bring honor and glory to your great name. And Lord, we pray for those in our congregation who may be suffering, whatever it may be, whether it be a physical ailment, whether it be uh, spiritual or emotional uh, downtroddenness, or whether it be despondency, whether it be a dark night of the soul, Lord, I pray that you would uh, come close uh, to these people in need, uh, that you would give them comfort by your spirit, that, Lord, even in the toughest of times, uh, they would have a hunger for Christ, knowing that he is the great physician, and that one day uh, all things will be made new. And we will have the full and consummate joy being found in him, resurrected unto glory, where all things wrong are made right. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Let us sing together Psalm 116a. We will sing the first four stanzas of Psalm 116a. I love the Lord, for he has heard my voice. Let us stand as we sing together.
standing as we take our Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3, and we will read verses 16 through 18 of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18, let us pray before we consider this text together. O Lord in heaven, in order to see what true love is, we need eyes to see. In order to know and to hear the words of love, we Need ears to hear. Lord, we need hearts that are capable and able of loving. Lord, we know that these only come through a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who, uh, who showed us love perfectly. Lord, send your spirit that we may have these things. Help us to understand your word. And Lord, help us to walk in love, even as Christ did. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 16, the Apostle John writes, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we saw how love is is not simply a a cold-hearted action as if it's a a mere duty. It is something that is rooted and grounded in compassion. I told you all back then, uh, last Sunday, that there may be a pop quiz for that, that Greek word that I taught you. Splagna, right? So I just gave you the answer. I don't have to ask you anymore. Splagna. That the Lord Jesus Christ exemplified that, that gut uh, yearning for his people to show them love. That he pitied them and had compassion upon his people. And we likewise, by the Spirit of God working in us, have compassion in the same manner that Christ does. That our hearts are moved. This week, we will be looking at verse 18 of John chapter 3. And we will see here that love is displayed in work. Love is displayed as an action, as a deed, as it were. And we will see also that the highest display of love is found in the work of Christ. And so, love is displayed in working, in in deeds, through actions... And the highest display of love is that of Christ's work for us. So first, let us look at love as displayed in work. We read in verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Apostle John speaks in terms of contrast. He's saying that you... Should not merely love in words, but that love needs to be manifested in works. Not words only, but works. So we see that we must not love by words alone. We see this in the very first part of verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk. So first, let's talk about what this does not mean. Husbands, this does not mean that you get away with never saying I love you to your wife, right? Uh, this doesn't mean that you don't vocalize your love. This doesn't mean that you, you never communicate to someone, I love you. It's a powerful thing to say those words. Men, maybe you remember the first time you ever said that to uh, the girl who would become your wife, right? Right? How you were perhaps nervous and hesitant. Maybe you planned the words. Maybe you practiced those words. Okay, I'm going to say it like this. I love you. Okay, I have to say this. It has to be said because my heart is exploding with love for this woman. I have to say it, right? Maybe you experienced that. Maybe you didn't work yourself up quite like I did. Um, Who knows? (laughs) 
Maybe it was more natural. And after saying those words, though, more than likely, the relationship was catapulted to a new level. And there was a seriousness there uh, as you pursued your relationship further. See, love when, when love is communicated by words, it's a powerful thing. We know this particularly because when love is not communicated by words, there is a cold, vacuous cavern, right? Imagine a marriage where there is no verbal expression of love. Imagine a child never hearing the words, I love you, from her parents. Maybe you don't even have to imagine that. Maybe it's something you've experienced yourself. Maybe you know that deafening silence from a father or from a mother who never told you those words, I love you. Now, I don't think the Apostle John is saying, just remain silent, never express love in words. That's not what he's saying. But what I do think he's saying is that to only communicate with words is to do it wrongly. What he's saying is that we should never communicate love by words alone. Because such words are empty, right? Words alone lack substance. To express love by words but not by action is like giving someone a gift but the box is empty, right? Maybe you know, we're, we're coming into the Christmas season and, and perhaps you already have your tree up. I've already heard of some people putting their trees up. And, and perhaps even now there are gifts there and there's beautiful wrapping paper and there's a perfectly tied bow on one of them with, with, with beautiful uh, designs all over it. And, and here's this wonderful gift and you can't wait to open it up and, and you rip into it on Christmas Day and what's there? Nothing. There's nothing but cardboard and paper. And in the same way, you may use sophisticated and beautiful words of love. They may be moving, they may be inspiring, but if it's not paired with action, your love is empty. Empty words that serve no one. Words of love alone are insufficient, friends. We do not love by words alone. That's what John is telling us in the first part of that verse. But he goes on to tell us how we are to love. Verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The word that John here uses in my ESV translation as he translates it as deed, is the same word throughout the New Testament uh, used, you know, sometimes translated as, um, as work or, or action. Activity is what John is here envisioning. John is saying that love is best communicated by doing. You know the words, the, the old adage that actions speak louder than words. Well, here is biblical proof for that. True love is a working love, a word, a, a love of, of deeds, not simply of words. Many of the commentators that I've read on these, these passages see here a parallel uh, between 1 John 3 and James chapter 2. You remember James chapter 2, right? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Um, there we see the Apostle James talking about uh, particularly faith. But he uses very similar terms, very, very similar concepts to basically say, look, if you don't have works that accompany this faith, if, if the natural outworking of what you call faith is not works, then it's a false faith. Now, some people will use that to say, well, yeah, you're justified by faith and works. Well, that's not what James is saying. He's not using justified in, in the way Paul does. He's saying, if your faith does not manifest itself and display itself through works, then, then it's not a true saving faith. 
The, the faith that receives is also the faith that acts. The faith that is passive in justification is active in sanctification. James is talking about how faith without works is dead. We can talk of faith. We can profess faith. But if faith is not adorned in good works, then it's not true faith. That's why James says in, in uh, verses 15 and 17 of James 2, 15 through 17, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Notice the kind words of of this hypothetical individual here. He's giving a benediction. Go in peace. Be filled. Be warm. Kind words, warm words, satisfying words. And yet, the one who receives this benediction in this example remains cold and hungry, clothingless and foodless, because these words were not backed up with action. And so we see this parallel here between James 2 and 1 John 3. That love is not true love if there's no action. Simon Kistemacher, um, who worked with um, William Hendrickson to, to write uh, a series of New Testament commentaries. I, I recommend those commentaries to you. They're, they're usually very, very good and, and excellent. Uh, he says about this, this um, connection between James 2 and 1 John 3, that love and faith have this in common. Both need to prove their genuineness by deeds. Love is only truly manifested by outward expressions, by works. Action is required, right? This, this has many different applications, right? Um, this is true, not just uh, in, in the particular instance of First John 3, where he's talking about loving our brothers and sisters in the Lord, loving our uh, fellow believers, but, but this has application in our marriage, Right? Our marriages, action is required. Husbands and wives need to show our love to one another through action, through service. And not just focusing on serving one another physically. Husbands should serve their wives by leading them, especially in spiritual matters. Wives should respect and honor and follow their husbands, as all Ephesians 5 type uh, things. This is what love looks like according to Scripture. It's not just saying I love you before you go to work and I love you before you lay your your head on the pillow. Action is required. Action is required in our households, right? Parents are to love their children not simply by saying I love you, even though you should. There has to be a, a serving leading going on. It's not just about giving them food and and clothing and shelter and education. So many people in our culture think that that's all I have to do is make sure my kids are well-fed, well-educated, they have a roof over their head, all these things. No, are you discipling them? Are you serving them, loving them by raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? These are acts of love, actions, tangible actions. Young people, actions are required of you as well. Do you love your parents? And what I mean by love is, do you honor them? Do you respect them? Do you acknowledge their God-given authority over you? Remember the fifth commandment we recited every Sunday. Honor your father and your mother. It may be hard sometimes. It may be hard a lot. (laughs) You may not always see why you should follow them or agree to them or obey them, but obeying them is a loving action required of you. Action is required. But more local to 1 John 3, action is required in the body of Christ, beloved. How are we as individuals, as as families serving other families or or individuals or or singles or whoever it may be in in our church, how are we serving one another? Phone call may be good. 
Words of encouragement may be fine. A text every now and then to check in on somebody may be good. But how are we actively seeking to know the needs of our brothers and sisters? Both in our congregation and our brothers and sisters outside of our congregation. Not simply to know the needs, but to assist and meet the needs if it's within our power. Action is required. And let me just say, friends, if, if you have a need, if there is a, a need, whether it be uh, monetary, whether it be uh, a physical need, whether it be uh, a spiritual need, an emotional need, whatever it may be, if there is an opportunity for someone to love you by, by helping you in any way, by showing love to you, let me know. Let our elders know. Let someone close to you in this congregation know your need. Give us an opportunity to love you. We may not be able to see your plight, but we want to help you. We want to love you. We are not to love simply by words. Words alone will not suffice. We must love in action, beloved. In action. And we see this not simply in the command that is given to us here. Because that's what John is saying. He's clearly commanding us, don't love simply in words, but love through action. Love through deed. Love through works. Love requires work. But we remember back in verse 16 that he drew this parallel, right? Between what is required of us and what Christ has done on our behalf. By this we know love, he says, that Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And in a very same way, this thread persists on into verse 18. If we are to know what loving, not merely by word, but loving by deed looks like, then friends, we have to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen this the past two weeks, that Christ is the example and the motivation for our love. If we're going to follow Christ, then we follow in the footsteps of one who loved even unto death. But he's not simply our example. He's also the one who satisfies us with his love, fills our hearts with his love, that we might then have a full supply of love to give to others. See, friends, Christ did not love us in words and in speech only. It's not as if he, he simply, in order to show his love, uh, rent the heavens and, and spoke and said, I love you. He has spoken. He has spoken in the scriptures. He has declared his love to us. But the Lord Jesus Christ committed himself to work, right? To action to show his love. Yes, Christ is the one who, as the word from the Father, he's the one who reveals the love of God. But it's not simply through divine speech and teaching. Christ is the word. But we know in, first, or in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the word became flesh action, right? He dwelt among us action. He became man action. As we read about in the gospel of Luke, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man action. He submitted himself to the law of God, his own law, and fulfilled it so as to merit us righteousness. Action. He bore our sins. Action. He was pierced for our transgressions. Action. He was crushed for our iniquities. Action. He experienced the wrath of God. He died in our place. He was raised on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. All of these are actions. He sends his spirit to us to change us, to give us new hearts and to sanctify us. 
He makes continual intercession for us as our high priest at the right hand of the Father. He rules over us as our king and will one day subdue both his and our enemies. He will raise us from the dead. He will come again with glory. He will usher us into heaven. All of these, friends, are action. Actions. They're deeds. They're, they're works. Christ does not simply love us by saying, go and be well. But he condescended. He came down. And he saved us. He's even now working to glorify the Father and to manifest His love for His people as He is continually interceding on our behalf. And He will one day, through His work, through His second coming, will bring us and usher us into glory. You see, He did not hold Himself up in pre-incarnate glory and pronounce His love over us Instead, he showed what love is. He went to work. And is the one who knows and trusts in Christ. The one who worked for the salvation of sinners and indeed is now working for them in glory. This one, the one who trusts in him. Who meditates upon the love of God for us in Christ. It is this one who is moved not only to speak love. But to do deeds and actions of love. See friends unless you know the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Through faith unless you know that love. You can't expect love to be found in your heart. Not a pure love. Not a love that. Serves one another. Not a love that would even go to the extent of laying down your life for your brother and sister in Christ. See friends, it's the gospel. The example of Christ. But particularly the work of Christ for us that motivates our love. It's in the gospel that we enjoy the love of God in Christ. And out of that joy, our hearts, our lips, our hands are all moved to love one another. You see, friends, the more we dive into Christ, the more we relish the love that he has shown for us upon the cross and in his resurrection, the more we we study how he is even at work now to love us, and we see in the future how he will love us and bringing us fully into himself, friends, that that will motivate us to love. We love, as we will read about in, Lord willing, a few months, because he first loved us. And that is the order we must take. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? As you see, perhaps in your own life, in your own dealings with your family, as you see in your own life, you're dealing with your your, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe even those in this room, and you see a coldness and a lack of love towards them. Perhaps there is a lack of faith in Christ that is drying up your love. Have you trusted in Him? Have you gazed upon the beauty of his love for sinners such as you in his cross work? It's only when we see his self-emptying and his, his servitude and his obedience even unto death that we then can humble ourselves and love each other even when it's hard. So friends, don't think that your love will happen on its own. You must be in Christ. You must believe in Him. For only then can love arise in your heart. And it's my prayer that for all of us, love will be manifested as we grow more in love with our Savior, with our King, with the Lord Jesus Christ, as we pray together. Lord in heaven, we do pray that you would Work love into our hearts. We know that uh, love is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And it's only those who are in Christ that have the Spirit. So Lord, we pray that you would have us gaze upon the beauty of our Savior. That we would meditate upon his cross work. That we would see his his voluntary condescension, his his, uh, commitment and his action, not only to your glory, but to his people. That we then might love as he has loved us. Lord, these are impossible things. And we need your grace to do it. Grant us, Lord, loving hearts by the power of your spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let us take our hymnals and we will turn to page 538. Take my life and let it be. Hymn 538. Let us stand as we sing. the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.